Whenever there was a census, and this is important, whenever there was a census, God took an offering. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Rod Hembley. I'm Janice. And we are here today with Bible Discovery TV, a program taking you through the Bible in one year. Very excited about this. And today in Exodus 30 to 32, we're going to study, this is really interesting about senses and uh, what that means and how they did it. It's going to be fascinating. Corey and Ryan are here. Corey, what's going on? I am taking a look at the golden calf incident. Ryan? Well, today on the program, I'm going to be attempting to answer this old chestnut. Does God change his mind? All right, very good. We're looking at uh, Exodus chapter 11. This is going to be good for 30 minutes. What are you doing, Jen? My segment is called Paid in Full. All right, very good. So let's get out our Bibles. This is the most important book of all and open it up and let's look at the Bible guide and find out what God is saying to us. Let's study. Exodus 30, verses 11 through 16. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, When you take the census of the children of Israel for their number, then every man shall give a ransom for himself to the Lord when you number them, that there may be no plague among them when you number them. This is what everyone among those who are numbered shall give half a shekel according to the shekel of the sanctuary. A shekel is twenty giras. The half shekel shall be an offering to the Lord. Everyone included among those who are numbered from twenty years old and above shall give an offering to the Lord. The rich shall not give more, and the poor shall not give less than half a shekel, when you give an offering to the Lord to make atonement for yourselves. And you shall take the atonement money of the children of Israel and shall appoint it for the service of the tabernacle of meeting, that it may be a memorial for the children of Israel before the Lord to make atonement for yourselves. Exodus chapter 30 verses 11 through 16. Exodus 30 to 32. What an amazing read today. Now, this is interesting. Listen carefully. The census offering in the book of Exodus is very fascinating. Whenever a census of the Israelites was taken, everyone who was 20 years old and older had to pay a half shekel as an atonement offering. Every time they took a census, an offering was drawn. Now, this offering money could be used only for the operation of the tent tabernacle. This monetary offering would likely have discouraged the regular counting of the people and contributed to their trust in God rather than their trust in numbers like money. In God, they trusted. It also would have reminded the Israelites of their position before God needing always to make atonement for themselves, whether it be through animal sacrifices or monetary offering. It is also important to note that financial status did not matter when it came to atonement. Everyone had to give the exact amount, no more, no less. 
Now, the wealthy may have attained a great deal of status in their lives, but they meant no more to God than the poorest among them. To God, a life is a life. And that's the offerings. And that's exactly how part of them went. And uh, there are many offerings here. And we need to focus on this because this is important. Atonement money. Atonement, paying the price for. That's interesting because Jesus Christ made atonement for sin. Paid the price of sin. So that gets all very interesting. Now, I just need to tell you, if you get your Bible guide out and turn to today's passage in Exodus 30, 11 to 16, previous years we've read, of course, 1 through 10, and this year we're focused on these new scriptures, 11 through 16, we learn much more. And so you can write for yours or call for yours, or you can go to BibleDiscoveryTV.com. When you go to BibleDiscoveryTV.com, click on the Bible guide. It'll take you to a page that you can download it and within seconds be with us. And uh, we're going to learn this today. It's going to be very, very interesting. Okay. So we need to pray. Father, I pray today in the name of Jesus Christ that you would help us to learn about atonement offerings and atonement money, Lord. In Jesus' wonderful name, as we teach this, people on this side of the cross, for everybody to hear, in Jesus' name, and we sit together, amen. I remember there was one guy who came to me and says, I don't give any offerings anywhere because I'm in the New Testament, not the Old. I said, well, you're disobeying the Bible. The Bible doesn't have to go to the Old Testament to get the offering. You can get the offerings and their use in the New Testament. Uh, but anyway, that's another story for another day. We'll get to that later in the year. Exodus 30, verse 11 says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, When you take a census of the children of Israel for their number, then every man shall give a ransom for himself to the Lord. Shall give a ransom for himself to the Lord. When you number them, that were that there they may be, there may be no plague among them when you number them. Okay, now this is fascinating. In giving money for the census, the Israelites acknowledged their lives were from God and governed by God. In giving money for the census, the Israelites acknowledged their lives were from God and governed by God. We don't give to get from God. God will move in his way on behalf of our faith. God moves in his way on behalf of our faith. Did you understand that? That's important to remember because when we give to God, we're so used to this. Oh, it's just another thing to give to. No, it's not. Giving to God is different. It's unique. It's not like giving to a local foundation. It's giving to the Lord. The state has nothing to do with it. The nation has nothing to do with it. Give to the Lord. Very, very important. Now, as we go on, we learn some more. Exodus chapter 30, verse 13 says, This is what everyone among those who are numbered shall give, half a shekel according to the shekel of the sanctuary. A shekel is 20 geras. The half shekel shall be an, abina, or shall be an offering to the Lord. Everyone included among those who are numbered from 20 years old and above shall give an offering to the Lord. I find that fascinating. You see, God calls on everyone to give. Everyone, regardless of your status, everyone to give. 
Offerings are a big part of God's will and way. And let me tell you something. I, I remember seeing people who did not have much money at all, and they gave 20 cents for an offering. Praise God. That is as good as somebody who gives $200. If they gave out of their need, but they gave because they gave. You see, beloved, when we give to God, that begins a process. We need to understand that. That's very, very important. All right. Now let's go to the last couple of verses because this is really something. Watch this. The rich shall not give more and the poor shall not give less than half a shekel. Okay, so that, that's what the, the, the offering was for the census, half a shekel. When you give an offering to the Lord to make atonement for yourselves, and you shall take the atonement money of the children of Israel, and shall appoint it for the service of the tabernacle of meeting. For the service of the tabernacle of meeting. That it may be a memorial for the children of Israel before the Lord. To make atonement for yourselves. That's very, very, very important. Listen carefully. This is point number three. God commanded that giving is the same for rich or poor. Our financial status does not dictate our worth. I, I need to say that again. Listen, our financial status does not dictate our worth, nor our attitude for giving. Now, again, I need to explain this so that people understand. When people give a great deal of money, we look at that and somebody gives to a church $20,000. We say, wow, that's amazing. Wow, what a gift. And somebody gives $20 and we say, yeah, well, that's, you know, whatever. We're acting incorrectly. We should be just as thankful for the $20 as we are for the $20,000. When people give, they give according to what God tells them and they give according to their ability. That's very important. We need to understand that. God tells us to give 10% tithes, so we give 10%. God, in the offerings, he doesn't tell us how much, but that's exactly what we do. Now, there is no other way to say that, except that's just the way it is. And let me tell you something. If you begin to tithe, little by little, I want to tell you something. God will sustain you, and God will help you, and God will keep you and keep provision for you. I don't know how he'll do it. He has his ways of doing things, and he has always done that for me. And i got to tell you, there were times when I wasn't sure when our next meal was coming from, and somehow God made a way, and the Lord is always faithful, because in God I trust, and in God you should trust, something we need to remember on this day. Jesus Christ spoke to us and told us not to be afraid, not to be troubled by these times, this is the beginning of the end. This is the beginning of God's final reconciliation with the world. God is going to make things change in our lives, and this is very important. He has selected you and myself to live in this time, and I find that absolutely amazing. 
Today, you and I are going to be looking at one of the most infamous events in the book of Exodus, and that is the betrayal of the Israelites towards God when they uh, had Aaron fashion for them a golden calf idol. Uh, you know, it's easy for us to kind of not fully immerse ourselves in the situation that Israel had found themselves in. You know, Moses had gone up the mountain, hadn't come back. Uh, they didn't know if they had been abandoned by God or not. They were in the wilderness. They had already been attacked once by enemies. So they were in a rather desperate spot, a desperate situation. So this was a test of their faith that unfortunately they didn't pass. Take a look. Two major instances of idolatry in the Bible are directly connected with ancient Egypt. One occurred under the leadership of Aaron while Moses was delayed on Mount Sinai, and the other was initiated by Jeroboam after he successfully took control of a fragmented Israeli kingdom. These instances share the image of their idolatry, calves. Both took place during a vulnerable time of transition and so probably served to reassure and unify. So why cows? In the case of the golden calf incident during the days of Moses and Aaron, Israel had just escaped oppression in Egypt and had been traveling to the promised land, facing opposition and physical warfare on their way. They made a pit stop at Mount Sinai where Moses left them to go and receive instruction from God. When he didn't return, the people assumed him dead, themselves abandoned. They forced Aaron to make an idol for them to worship and inquire of for help. Why a calf? In the case of Jeroboam, who himself had just returned from taking refuge in Egypt, away from King Solomon, who had a price on his head, he was the king of a newly formed northern Israel. He had the allegiance of most of the tribes, but had lost the crown jewel of the nation, Solomon's Jerusalem temple. Jeroboam's answer was to set up two sacred areas within his territory so that the people would not travel back into his rival's dominion to worship or celebrate the feasts of the Lord. Again, Jeroboam's idols of choice were cows. While the full meaning of the golden cows may not be ascertainable, the connection with Egypt is likely not a coincidence. The ancient Egyptians worshipped a few deities that utilized bull and cow imagery. They had a sacred bull cult dedicated to the life and death cycles of the god of the underworld, involving cycles of worshipping, then slaughtering living bulls. Even more widespread was their worship of the cow goddess Hathor. She was sometimes depicted as a full cow and sometimes as a human with a cow's head or ears. The cow was seen as life-giving. She sustained life through her milk. It was even said of some pharaohs that they were nursed by Hathor. This cow goddess empowered, sustained, and imparted divinity to the king's rule. Due to Hathor's nature as a goddess of provision, it seems a natural possibility that in Israel's time of need, they turned to a familiar cult to rescue them, without a leader, in hostile territory, with vulnerable families. Likewise, Jeroboam needing to unify his people even further likely reached into his pop culture to provide an alternative. Justification for his apostasy may even have been pillaged from the imagery of the temple itself. The temple's bronze basin sat on 12 bronze bulls. These bulls were not symbols of God, but their association with the temple, strength, and even the 12 tribes could have paved the way towards cultural justification.
Lots more to be said about ancient Israelite culture and how it relates to the Egyptian culture and then the Canaanite culture uh, in, in you know, the different times in which they, they lived. But I think it's always a good thing to really closely pay attention to some of these um, events that, you know, if you've been a Christian all your life, you've probably learned about them in Sunday school. And we kind of tend to gloss over these when we're reading through the Bible, especially at the speed that we're going. But if we slow down and we really try to understand the incident and what's going on, we can reap a lot of benefit from that. It can really change the way that we understand how God interacts with mankind. Because even though our situations change, I mean, obviously we're not gonna find ourselves in the middle of a desert in the same way that Israel found themselves in the middle of a desert after an Exodus event. But human nature, you know, when we're scared, when we're troubled, when we feel like we've been abandoned by God, we do uh, very similar things, even though it comes out in a different way because we're from a different culture. So and lots to learn. You know, Corey, you, you also, you have to understand that you, you do that, but we do that. But the problem is we need to face this, that when you see the Israelites complaining, for example, mm -hmm. when they don't have water, they always say the same thing. Well, we should have been in Egypt, but you would rather mm -hmm. take us out here and die. And, and we say those Israelites, what's wrong with them? But we do that too. Mm -hmm. When we... And probably for less, like uh -huh. with, with with the Israelites, if they were starting to suffer from the symptoms of uh, of thirst, that's a difficult spot to be in. And so many of us in the West don't even understand what it's like to not have access to food and water. When all of a sudden you don't even have the hope of access to food and water. And things are a little bit different. Like now we complain about, about things that are much less life and death. Not that they don't matter, they do matter. But it's really easy to throw the Israelites under the bus here instead of realizing that their situation can really uh, make us more wise for living. Uh, because we have the opportunity to learn from their experiences, but we have to try to understand it first. In fact, we do. Uh, and that's really important because as we approach life, we need to understand, Lord, what does this mean to me today? And what are you saying to me when you talk about Israel, when we see these things, what does that bring out in me? It's not for us just to come down on them, but it's for us to see. Yeah, and to understand like what what is actually going on exactly. in the scripture, because exactly. those truths, those truths can then apply to your own life. That's right, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, today my segment deals with an apparent Bible contradiction that goes something like this. Well, the Bible claims in certain passages that God does not change and is the same yesterday, today, and forever. But in other passages, like Exodus 32, 14, he does change his mind. So how can we resolve this issue? Well, let's think about this more closely. Enemies of the Bible who seek to destroy its authority claim that there are many errors and contradictions within its pages. If this claim is true, then it cannot possibly be the Word of God, since God, by definition, cannot lie. But are there truly errors and contradictions in the Bible? One of these supposed contradictions comes from the fact that in some passages God claims to be unchanging, while in other passages he seems to be very fickle, changing his mind quite often. For example, in passages such as Malachi 3.6, Numbers 23.19, and Hebrews 13.8, God claims that he does not change and is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Yet in other passages such as Exodus 32.14, Jeremiah 26.13, and Jonah 3.10, he does change his mind in that he decides not to destroy certain peoples and nations. But is this truly a contradiction? Is God really so fickle? 
The confusion comes from a misunderstanding of God's nature. While God, who is righteous and holy, cannot tolerate sin and will eventually punish sin with death, He is also compassionate, merciful, and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, willing to forgive those who turn from sin. This in no way, however, shows a change in God's nature or character. While God does change His mind based on what we decide to do about our sin, it does not mean His character changes. In fact, God's relenting only confirms His character. Indeed, because God is also merciful, He is willing to pardon us if we turn from sin. Author Stacia McKeever agrees. The relenting of God is in many cases, she says, the voice of compassion and mercy from a long-suffering God extended to sinful creatures in need of grace. May we not mistake the grace of God for a change in His character. Instead, we should be thankful that He is willing to forgive us and not bring us to utter ruin. God is truly the same yesterday, today, and forever. So as you can see, this alleged contradiction is just simply a misunderstanding of the scriptures and ultimately of God's nature. God does change his mind based on what we decide to do about our sin, but this in no way changes his character. Actually, as I said in the segment, this relenting of God actually confirms his character because while he will deal with unchecked sin, he is also compassionate and merciful and willing to forgive us if we ask him to. Our God, the God of the Bible and the creator of all things, is a good, good God. In fact, he is, and we say that a lot, but that's true. And uh, we need to pay attention because because God's speaking through his word right now. And, and I think in Canada, in the United States, he's speaking very specifically and people are reacting to it. And uh, over the, overseas in Europe, you know, they're, it's different and it changes. In Australia, they're also reacting to it. So we need to pay attention to that. We're gonna be praying for those countries, uh, you know, on the next program in a little bit. But anyway, thank you, Ryan, for that. We appreciate it. Jen? This chapter, Exodus chapter 30 and these verses 11 through 16 speak about ransom money. And this idea of ransom money was to pay a price for one's life. And it's really interesting as we listen to Rod teach on each verse and break it down. Some of the real things that uh, I noticed here was that there was no distinction made between a rich man or woman or, or a poor man or woman. There was no prejudice. Every life was the same and very valuable to God. Well, that hasn't changed. Um, what is the value of a soul? There is no way for us to put a dollar value on a soul. But I want you to know, if you don't know, that Jesus has already paid your ransom for your life in full. And he offers himself to you if you will come to him, if you will ask him to save you, to forgive you of your sins. And you can, in turn, give your life to him. It's not about a money value that's on your life now. Jesus paid that in full. And because of that, when you understand that, then it becomes much easier to give your life for someone who gave up his life for you. It's, it's really actually an overwhelming thought to think that somebody loved us enough, loved me enough in my sin, in my, in my 
state of being that he would give himself for me. That, that really is something. And the worth of his soul, Jesus, the creator of all things, gave himself to pay that price. And, um, you know, I'm kind of known for picking up little choruses, but there's a chorus that goes through my mind, and it's, he paid a debt he did not owe. And I owed a debt I could not pay. I needed someone to wash my sins away. And now I sing a brand new song, Amazing Grace. Christ Jesus paid the debt that I could never pay. And it's true. There is no value, Rod. There is nothing that I could pay. There is nothing that I can do to make me right with God. There's nothing, there's no work. There's no amount of money. There's nothing that I can do. It's only through what God offered through his son, Jesus Christ. On that cross, he gave his life. He rose from the dead three days later to give us that same power, that everlasting life that's given by the Father. He paid for our debt in full. I remember singing that song at KRT before our kids were born mm-hmm. and all that. Uh, Howard Fitch, who's gone on to be with the Lord now, but he, he we would sing that song. Yeah. Some of those songs were simple. Very simple. But they were profoundly true. That's right. Do you remember the tune? He paid a debt. He did not owe. I owed a debt. I could not pay. I needed someone to wash my sins away. And now I sing a brand new song, Amazing Grace. Christ Jesus paid the debt that I could never pay. There it is. And it's in our mind. And it's true. It's true. It's true. And so, you know, I would encourage you to hear what we say. The Bible speaks about Jesus Christ and tells us the truth about him. And uh, these simple choruses that people say, well, those are simple choruses. But they're true. Good theology is true theology. And the Bible is truth. And so I would encourage you to invite Jesus Christ into your life. Make him Lord of your life. Pray to him and say, Lord, I need you. Forgive me of my sin. I make you Lord of my life. Do that today because God will rescue you. Signs of the Time is a DVD I've done, a collection of sermons that I want to uh, invite you to get a hold of online at BibleDiscoveryTV.com, or you can get it on DVD because it talks about the end of time and what God has said to us. Very, very important. Right now we need to pray. And as we pray, we say, Lord, help me to trust and to give to you as I should. In the name of Jesus Christ, and we said together, amen. Amen.